Alex, you were just talking about a, I don't know if this is a theory of yours or just something you naturally do without thinking about it, but you were saying how you always like to get into music like 10 years after it comes out and it gives you like a better cultural, uh, like touchstone for it, I guess. You're saying you're just listening to like Justice and Fortet and shit. Yeah. It feels like being the first person on a rickety wooden bridge. You want to <laughs> wait until at least like 10 or 20 people have been over it and then you'll take a shot. But I don't want to be the first person over that bridge. Yeah. So I was saying I recently got into Fortet. It's this new band. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the Justice. Yeah, the first album. Cross. Like all the shit I remember seeing people talk about in 2010. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel like you get more of a full picture looking back, looking at the cultural context around uh, an album like from a distance than you do if you're actually experiencing it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's why for me, this summer is the summer of Electro Clash. MGMT. That should come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dude. MGMT is actually one of those bands where they themselves were mostly good, but everything they inspired sucks in the same way that like grunge begat butt rock or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I think... I've been listening to some like kind of er, like early 2000s indie, like proto indie, uh, or just maybe a year before like indie music really like blew up, you know? When you invented it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but listening to that stuff, um, I, I was talking to Brace a little bit about this because he, they just did an episode on Elliot Smith. And I feel like that era was like the long 90s, you know? Like the 90s really did kind of, everybody likes to think the 90s stopped at, at September 11th, but uh, I think the long 90s kind of bled for a few years later, past past September 11th, 2001. Like there was still kind of an end of history vibe to some of that music. Elliot Smith, there was another thing I got into late. Not super late, but he died in 2003, and I first heard him and I think... 2008, 2007, 2008. Ooh, yeah. Because I wasn't at the right age yet when he was still alive. I was only like, I would have been like 11 when he died. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have mental illness yet. That's a crucial part <laughs> <Yeah>. of it. <laughs> yes. Yes. He actually went to college uh, near me, oh, Western no Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah, I guess he, he was there when I was alive, I think. Weird I to think of. That whole era is super weird too, because like there were still people getting there were still people getting signed to major labels, like as sort of that like nineties hangover, you know? Like Yeah. I feel like that kind of evaporated in the mid two thousands. Yeah, you think about something like the strokes where there was like a actual like bidding war kind of thing. Yeah, and how. And yeah, even by like, I don't know, oh six or something, that was pretty much gone. But it maybe also goes along with like the collapse of CD sales and stuff, which is also like 05-ish or whatever. Yeah, definitely. I think it'd be funny to get into like um, micro genres that were kind of heralded as like the future of music and then went nowhere, you know? Like I remember 2003 through 2005, there was like a lot of sort of mainstream press or like Rolling Stone and Spin like would do pieces on shit like the Providence, Rhode Island, like the RISD scene, like Lightning Bolt, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then stuff around Andrew WK, like Bulb Records, like 
uh, and stuff like Arab on radar, like like noise music was was gonna make a was gonna make a big splash, and then you know, of course, it didn't because it's noise music. Yeah. Or speaking of ten years ago, Witch House. Yes. Yes. Or like you, you even brought up like a month ago or so, whatever, like Fash Wave or something. It's like, all right. Yeah. I feel Fash Wave, like that happened late enough on our current timeline that I feel like it was almost entirely like based on the internet. Whereas like that noise rock scene, like that Providence scene and like um, even Witch House was rooted in some kind of material reality. Like there were bands making records that sounded like that. I don't think you can make fascist art after Auschwitz. Almost Uh, like what Adorno said there. You can never have poetry after Auschwitz, but fascist art, I feel like after 1945, before that, you know, there's like, I don't know, Thomas Carlyle and Wagner and like, I don't know who else kind of get a pass because you hadn't really seen what it amounted to yet. Yeah. But after yeah. that, it's just lame. Yeah. I mean, you've got a lot of art that's like a commentary on fascism, you know, like the early Throbbing Gristle stuff or like Liebox is a good example that like, you know, kind of using the imagery of fascism, but from a left perspective. But then you've also got like, uh, you know, like the quieter, folkier black metal records that you don't want to listen too close to or do any research yeah. about the people making it and their early punk bands. Yeah, that's a very good point. Maybe that's another reason why it's good to get into things uh, 10 years late. Yeah, yeah, because then you know who's a, who's a crypto-Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can, I don't have to listen to Alcest now, you know? Cool. I think that guy's like not a... racist anymore. Not anymore, he's not, yeah. I assume he's adjusted just... Uh, <laughs> Not being around, I think he was like a teenager at the time, and uh, like his his extremely racist older friend had him play on the album on the past <laughs> album. Yeah, yeah, and it was just like we gotta kill everyone who's not French. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the shit you gotta watch out for is like the guys who are in the who are like doing that and in their late thirties, early forties, like like uh, I don't know. Operators played a show in Hungary. Uh, at Dura Kurt. I'm sorry this, to hear that. I, yeah, <laughs> I fucking love. Uh, I love playing in Budapest. Like this, the the sort of weird electronic punk scene there is great. It's fantastic. Unfortunately, uh, you know, we played at the same venue on the same night as a Polish black metal band called Megla. Uh, who who are one hundred percent fascists? Yeah, that's insane. They love to de- they love to deny being fascists, but um, but yeah, you could tell from the crowd. Um, it's kind that of a- technically qualifies as fascist art, but it seems like something fascists wouldn't have liked at all. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like they weren't that into like uh, Norse mythology. They were into it a little bit, but. Not uh, not fully. Yeah, they were doing Varg pilled. Yeah, they were doing other things. <laughs> they had other. There was uh, a mix of stuff, but it was still. Uh, they were suit and tie type of guys. Yeah, there's a reason that um, there's a reason you don't see like Thulean runes in the you know in the in the greater in images of the greater Reich, right? Like it's kind of an esoteric pursuit. Wait, what, what were we talking about before? 
<laughs> getting, I forget getting, now. We were talking about getting into stuff like uh, 10 years after, oh, yeah. after it hits, you know? Oh, I was going to say with Varg, uh, he was racist the whole time and everybody knew that. But if you gave it a 10-year window, everybody could have realized that he's cringe. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> he's not a, a badass guy. Like when he was in prison, like he was very mysterious. Mm-hmm. But now he's just, he's a, he's a really goofy old guy who rants in his car and like eats uh, rotten fish. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think the po- I think the cringe point like maybe where everybody noticed he was cringe was you know when he announced that he was gonna make only make albums with uh, hmm, Aryan instruments he was he was gonna get rid of the guitar. It's just, <laughs> just gonna use keyboards. Oh yeah, I always found that conceptually interesting, like what it would actually mean to create uh, like white supremacist art like Nordicist art. Yeah. Because even with black metal, it's it's got all the funk taken out, mm-hmm. but it's still fundamentally, there's a little bit of black music in there. Yeah. Like that, that just doesn't happen without uh, like black people in the American South. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the best, most positive example of that is like craftwork in post-war Germany, like like in the middle of like political chaos, like Red Army faction coming out of that like weird, like militant hippie movement and being like, we need to create. We they they were kind of doing like non-cultural appropriation at the very beginning. You know, they were just like, we're gonna make modern European music, and then that music becoming incredibly popular with african-americans in america and basically turning into like the invention of modern pop music with techno and house like yeah, that's that is a that's a good example that's kind of cool because they're they were doing it from like uh i think they were doing it from a non-fascist standpoint you know? yeah as a force for good to just kind of start fresh you know yeah wipe the slate clean but that is yeah i'm not really like historically literate enough to know what it would mean to make uh music with just instruments that are purely like white european or something i have no idea like you have to imagine that the history of most instruments is complex enough over time that like even stuff invented in europe by white people has been passed back and forth across the world so many times now that that doesn't even like truly exist you know yeah yeah Yeah, there's like a, a universal law around that stuff is that the more you think about it the less sense it makes Yes. To be any sort of racial Mm -hmm. supremacist. Because you think about where all those instruments came from, and they all came from the Middle East or Africa, North Mm -hmm. Africa, uh, and all the musical traditions and stuff. There's nothing that's pure, ever. Yeah. Somewhere somewhere in a forest outside of Stavanger, Varg is uh, sitting in a clearing. He's he's connecting a root to uh, a rotten fish. And then that root goes to a stone and to a hollow log, and he's created the first um, purely Aryan modular synthesizer. <laughs> Norse people didn't really have culture until like the 1700s. So if you go back to that, you kind of don't really get to have music or writing. Yeah, I guess you just have, what do you get? You get chanting? Yeah, runes and like, uh, I guess, the slaves. Cool looking hammers. Yeah. You get to not bathe ever? 
Yeah, I'm constantly begging my little brother not to get rune tattoos because he loves that shit. And I mean, he doesn't love it from a racist perspective, but I'm always just like, dude, please don't. Like, I know you love Norse mythology, but like, don't don't do it, man. Yeah, I don't want it to be misconstrued. Yeah, he's a he's a big guy too. Yeah. You got to get the other weird letters like Amharic. Yes, the, the stuff that young people post to curse you. Yes, exactly. Or uh, <laughs> Sumerian. Sumerian, yeah, that's right. Hieroglyphics. Plenty of weird letters. Runes aren't that interesting. It's just a bunch of boxes and with lines coming off of them. I wonder, speaking of like getting into music 10 years later or whatever, uh, I wonder, are there any specific subgenres of like Zoomers right now who are like act like witches on TikTok and whatever? Like, do they have their own like witch house equivalent, you know? Or are they just listening to like Billie Eilish? I don't think Zoomers listen to music. That's my take. (laughs) Yeah, they're just listening to podcasts. Music has become obsolete. (laughs) Well, it's in the background of stuff. Yeah. That's true. You might do a viral dance to music, to 15 seconds of a song. But that's a good question, Charles. Like, what is the soundtrack to that subculture? Because at least the things that become culturally relevant from TikTok just end up being like, doja cat or something where it just it blends right into mainstream rap like Mm -hmm. i don't know like of any uh i'm sure they're out there but i just don't i'm too old to know of any like really niche subgenres that are like thriving on tiktok among like weird cultural niches of zoomers you know wiccans kind of have the same cultural problem as uh nordicists do where like (laughs) they're not supposed to have music yeah. <laughs> they don't really have culture. That's the thing about like pre uh pre-Christianized Europeans. Yeah, it's pre-culture kind of, you know. A lot of the stuff that we like kind of came along with Christianity. That's the problem. Like writing and like uh the prohibition of slavery of other white people at least. You kind of have to have that. I don't know. I've just been playing Crusader Kings. <laughs> <laughs> They always come and raid you. It's very annoying. The Wiccans? No, the Vikings. Oh, the Vikings, yeah. I guess that's the same people, sort of. Yeah. You gotta build a wall, man. Big wall. Keep them out. Yeah. Or assi- if- or just assimilate them into your uh, polity. That is what you do. That's Eventually the ticket, they get yeah. bored. If you let them settle down. I wonder how many people have developed like anachronistic racisms from playing Crusader Kings. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people. There are so many, uh, so many people who like get the wrong message from that. It's like history and sociology <laughs> turned into like random number generators yeah. and algorithms. And it like it, it's all it's all algorithms. It's algorithms fighting each other. And I don't know how you see that. And you're like, well, one of those is superior biologically. Yeah. I like <laughs> it's it's different computers fighting each other. Yeah. I like thinking about like a communist like a, like a young communist who skipped reading any theory or like capital or anything and is just basing everything off of like a single Stellaris campaign. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I guarantee that person anime. is on Twitter right now. Yes. There was an anime where each country in World War II was an anime girl. And that got most of the people on the internet who are into politics into politics. How did they handle the Molotov-Ribbentrop pack? Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't watch it, but I'm sure they did. 
I need to see that. <laughs> what like year was that anime? Probably two thousands. Man, that's funny. There's a Karl Marx anime that's actually pretty good. I think it's uh, Chinese. It's made in China. 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 <laughs> thank, thank you. <laughs> Is that like recent or older? Uh, it's recent. It's like uh, from a couple of years ago, but it's good. I liked it. It's like very breezy. I was reading this thing about Ryan Adams. There's this long profile he did that's like him reckoning with getting Me Too'd a couple years ago. And his one was like one of the lighter Me Too's. Uh, I think it was just like emotional abuse and uh, there was an accusation that he sexted an underage girl that turned out not to be true, Mm -hmm. I guess. But uh, (laughs) it's still, what he says here doesn't make a great case. I felt like they were asking me to die, Adam said, now of the accusations and immediate fallout, the loss of friends and professional support, the presumption of guilt. Fake friends. Fake friends. Yeah. Yeah, it's always funny when these profiles are done and the person's not particularly repentant. It's like, I don't know why you're profiling them at all. Yeah. I'm not... It's kind of just putting them up on the cross again. Poking the dead body. Yeah. Adam's new crisis publicist is concerned about him reopening a can of worms by talking about these issues. She asked not to be named in this story, Mm. but he's also caught in his own catch-22, unable to move past negative perceptions without explaining himself and answering the charges. I hate being caught in my own catch-22. Yeah. It's like you're you're already caught, then you're caught inside a a catch, and it's it's a catch-22, and it's... It's terrible. Can't get out. Yeah, I don't. I'm cur- I'm very curious what the rationale f- for running a piece like that is, or what what website is this on? Uh, L.A. Magazine. Huh. I feel like that's a perfect place for this thing to run. Because I don't feel like a lot of people outside of Los Angeles care about Ryan. Ryan Adams' career is mystifying to me. I feel like he signed some deal where they were like, "We will put out a million records and pay you." to live a normal life and put out a million like i feel that that band the eels is kind of like that too it's just like yeah you know you hear about the eels like in music press and it's like only people in la would really know or care about it i guess i do like eels but he puts out a lot of records and i kind of stopped listening to him because he puts one out like every year and Mm -hmm. usually there's nothing on it that stands out too much but I still love Electroshock Blues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Ryan Adams, I never really got into him at all. Yeah, me neither. Whenever I, I, I hear don't it, like it's just country. like generic rock and roll almost. Like it's barely yeah. anything. Like he has a handful of songs that are very memorable that I kind of like, but I would never like put them on willingly. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's the it's the weird dichotomy between like the art and the amount of press that it gets. You know, and the type of press yeah. that, it, that it got where it's just it's just like, hey, it's everyone's favorite. Ryan Adams, the guy we all love. It's just like got to really? be a big product of who we? he knows and where he's situated, like socially. Like you're saying, yeah. like if you know a lot of L.A. people, you're going to get a lot more press than someone who doesn't, regardless of uh, talent or fan base or anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I know a lot of people genuinely love Ryan Adams. I, th- I think the sort of um, more liberal Christian, like born again Christian community, sort of embraced him 
Oh, but weird. I didn't know bed. that. Yeah. Well, he wasn't very Christian to those women. No, he wasn't. There's some weird paragraphs here. He wandered into the Vedanta Temple in Hollywood, a gleaming miniature Taj Mahal built in 1938. During mm. one of those visits, a woman tapped him on the shoulder and said the Swami wanted to eat with him. Adams immediately accepted. As they ate, he remembers the balding holy man gently telling him, It's so beautiful how sad you are because you are so broken, and all you're doing is trying to put yourself back together. It's exhausting. Adams wept right there. For someone to tell me that to my face who doesn't know anything about my life, talk about crying in front of stranger, the singer says. Uh, and that, what? And that Swami's name was Ryan Adams. That never I, happened. I've, yeah, that's got to that, be a fake that, story. That didn't like, what fucking, the fuck? That didn't fucking happen. No way. He wandered into a mini Taj Mahal and then some guy just tapped him on the shoulder and said, you're so beautiful because you're so sad. You're so cute and sad right now. Go to bed. Go to bed. It's okay. Like, that's so weird. It, it sounds like Ryan Adam lyrics. It's so <laughs> obvious that he made that shit up. That's so fucking stupid. That's your response to getting me too'd? Yeah, like, I don't know what, what anyone is expecting. Like, people are going to read this LA Weekly article and be like, wow, that's really cool. We should give Ryan Adams a second chance. <laughs> like, I don't know. The man. person who wrote this must be, must have it in for him. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they I ask him about uh, Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the author brings that up. That is. And, that that's, is the most famous record about getting canceled for being like a piece of shit. Yeah, that's it's that's kind of like tossing him a lit grenade. Yeah. <laughs> Picking yeah. that up. Like, oh boy. How long do you guys think it's going to take before there's um a long like a like a pretty long pitchfork like uh Ariel Pink's like 40 days and 40 nights of the desert of cancellation piece? Yeah, I wonder. I'd say next year. I don't think it would be in Pitchfork. I wonder where it would be. It would be in like the American Conservative. That's yeah, true, maybe. yeah. Or LA, LA Weekly. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Like He does seem like the kind of guy who's willing to make that particular uh, heel turn. Oh, because he went on Fox News like right after that happened, right? Like He's, he's very open to that kind of like, yeah. heel that turn. That was so weird. Like, Why would you do that? Because you're a Just little. Just in terms of rational self-interest, like what did you gain from that? Because you're a little clown. You're a little. Uh, you're a little attention monster. Yeah, he loves attention. He sure does. Oh, there's a weird thing in here. I just noticed. It's talking about how he discovered Phoebe Bridgers. Ultimately, in 2015, he did release her three-song EP, Killer, and had his publicist announce its arrival in a press release that quoted Adams calling Bridgers a musical unicorn who could make a jar of sand sound like blood on the tracks. So I guess that time he, he brought it up. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so maybe that's why they felt like they should bring it up. I don't know. Blood on the tracks isn't even good. Shut the fuck up, man. Yeah. Talk about the uh, talk about idiot wind, am I right? Yeah, he's full of hot air. <laughs> hey oh. Oh man. Here's a song about a full grown adult man who never goes down on anyone. Bridgers declared during a twenty eighteen performance at the Higher Ground nightclub in South Burlington, Vermont. I've been there before. <laughs> so I've played there. That's a good venue. Man, that uh so that like including that in this profile. They were trying to make him look as bad as possible. I don't yes. know why he would agree to this. 
Yeah, There's going to be another runner. article where he talks about how he shouldn't have done this article. <laughs> like he's going to go to another journalist. <laughs> And be like, yeah, I just felt so bad. And then there's going to be like a quote from his mom, like, well, when he was born, he had, uh, he had the smallest penis of all time, according to the doctor. <laughs> and it actually went inside of his body. It was actually, it was like a big hole. And you couldn't even see the end of it. It was so deep. They asked us if we wanted to euthanize him right then and there. And we said, no, let him live. He'll be a living example. We used to take him to the vet. <laughs> I just remember that one of the times I played at higher ground, I I got in an argument with one of the stage managers who I think was doing a lot of cocaine and was very, very, very amped up and angry all night. And um, he got mad at me for smoking in, in the loading dock. Like the, the big loading dock door was open and I, I was smoking on the inside of where the door was. Uh and he was like, you can't smoke in here. You got to go smoke outside. So I stepped outside, but I had a can of beer in my hands. And he was like, you can't fucking drink outside. Put the beer inside. So <laughs> I just stood with the cigarette hand on the other side of the door and the beer on the inside of the door. And that made him very, very angry. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's like standing in uh, in that spot where you're in four states at once. <laughs> yeah. And, but I, the whole time I was basically like, doesn't the guitar player from Fish own this venue? Like, aren't you hippies? Like, what's wrong with you, man? Lighten up. <laughs> oh, does he really? He does. The first Fish show ever was uh, on the UVM campus where I went, and it was in the worst dining hall. Oh, no shit. Which, which is colloquial, colloquially known as the Grundle because <laughs> of how the building looks from bird's eye view. It looks like a, a crotch on a person bending over. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and I had the worst food. <laughs> That's where they got the band name Fish. Yeah. That's right. The worst fish there. Never really listened to Fish. I don't think I've ever heard a full Fish song. Wait, someone was just telling me recently what they call themselves, like the equivalent of being a deadhead. It's something really stupid. Hmm. Like a fish guy. Now someone listening to this is going to be like, you don't know that? And someone's going to be getting mad right well, now. I'm going to look it up so people don't get mad at fish us. Head, a pea oh, head. A pea I head. I just remembered something else about that venue is that after that happened and that guy, that guy got really upset with me and was like not quite like you'll never play here again but was was basically being like you're not welcome here you know yeah the last time i played there uh with operators i noticed that uh, upstairs where the green rooms are there's a framed picture of me playing guitar from that night up on the wall so who's laughing <laughs> now do not allow this man in you got to do like a larry david kind of thing and like insist on taking it off the wall if they're going to be mean to you. <laughs> I was just thinking that like just throwing like the worst tantrum or just go, going back and playing <laughs> again and bringing that up to people who like have never met this guy. That guy probably quit like years ago. Yeah, no like someone was, was mean to be here. You cannot put my picture up here. It would be fun to spite somebody by putting up a picture of them and then signing their name, but in like the stupidest kid handwriting. <laughs> so it looks like you're like barely literate enough that you don't sign your name with an X. Yes. <laughs> or just, just, yeah, like in that backstage, like having somebody take like the most unflattering post show picture. Just like covered in sweat, shoving like hummus and pita into your mouth. <laughs> and then force you to autograph it. Force you to autograph No, you autograph it. You do Alex's like child handwriting thing on it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Photoshopping the band's heads onto Lemon Party, <laughs> putting it on the wall. Running and signing it with like backwards Toys R Us letters. Running everyone through like the old filter. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Fish played here. I guess they, uh, I guess it's a clothing optional venue. Wow. Vermont's crazy. <sighs> so cool. So free. Really is a weird state. Wait, fans of fish are actually called fish heads. That's so lame. I thought it was something yeah, stupider I, I, than that, but I looked it up and I guess usually they just say fish fans. Also, when I searched for what are fish fans called, one of the Google suggestions was what are fish fans like? I can I can't imagine <laughs> searching that of maybe I'm gonna become uh, one of those people who follows them around, but what are they like? You know, what, what are, are they like? like? I need to, uh, I need to know what I'm getting into. You can't really guess what they're like? They're ahead of the curve on the showering thing. That's why they're called fish. That's right. Do fish love to take showers? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They're always underwater. Super problematic. I was going to say fish uh, should record an album underwater, but that's just like a Metalocalypse plot line where they do their album underwater. <laughs> that's a good uh, Wolf Parade PR stunt for the next album is you're going to record the album outdoors in like some kind of wolf sanctuary or... Some place where the most dangerous wolves dwell. Oh, One of those cool. places where they collect wolf urine. Yes. You, yes. you can buy wolf urine to keep away, I think, deer and rabbits and stuff. You can put it on like the fence in, in your garden. Yeah. And I always wondered how they collect that. Obviously, it's captive wolves, but mm -hmm. I don't know if they like... Because like, you can collect semen from a bull because you know you do the motion... And yep. you get them going, yep. but you can't really get a wolf to pee. No. Well, maybe you just give it a it bunch of coffee and stuff. That's true. Give it, uh, yeah, diuretics. Well, you can give um, it monsters. You can squeeze. Yeah. You can squeeze a dog's bladder in a way to make it pee. Interesting. Yeah, and I know this because uh, my dog Archie uh, had a ruptured disc and like couldn't move his back legs he was, he was like kind of couldn't move his back legs at all he had to have surgery and when he was re recovering like he didn't know when his bladder was full so basically like you have to you have to push and squeeze on his bladder so his bladder empties um but i can't imagine doing that with a wolf you Archie, could do that into the toilet couldn't you yeah that that happens at my house <laughs> You can just pick up the tug and squeeze it into the toilet. <laughs> yep. That's so convenient. Yeah. Easy. Easy. But he's little. He's just a little guy. It seems like a good name for a, like a sort of older timey dive bar, the squeezed bladder. <laughs> Wolf piss. I assume what they do is they have like a, a concave surface in the wolf pen and then it just flows downward into a cup <laughs> yeah like the whole pen is stainless steel and kind of angled towards a hole in the center yeah it's like a big sink and this yeah. is going on with like 30 wolves at once there's a there's a guy underneath that like in a second room underneath it with just a mason jar and uh most of the time he's sleeping in a folding chair but every now and then when the urine travels down through the hole the siren goes on. He wakes up from the folding chair, runs around, and has to hold the mason jar under the whole hole, and uh, it fills up with the wolf urine. That's <laughs> he has how they... to smell wolf urine all day long, but the good part is he's not bothered by rabbits. Exactly. <laughs> deer or... don't come looking for him. They stay yeah. away. He will never be attacked by a deer. 
constantly getting attacked by other wolves. The other uh, PR stunt for Wolf Parade is uh, to record an album at a parade. Yeah. Do like abandon a bubble thing, except you're just on a parade float and you have two hours to record 12 songs. That seems more like an arcade fire idea, you know? Yeah, that's true. Why didn't MCR do that? Yeah, you're right. How are you going to call it the Black Parade and you record it in the studio? Mm-hmm. Yeah, false advertising. What, are you too tired? Right. Yeah. Get out in the street. Yeah, marching bands are due for a comeback in popular culture. That's true. You need to bring true. back like Sousa style shit. <laughs> Sean Phillips Sousa, sweeping the nation. Yeah, Everyone. that's what Witch Talk is listening to. Like all the yeah. all the videos about like uh, Capricorns have been causing tr- Capricorns unleashed a demon on North America this week or whatever, and it's just a bunch of like tuba music going off. Yeah, it's just uh, it's a kid levitating three feet off the ground, like in the lotus position, uh, hair floating in space, and just in the background is oompa music. Yeah, that stuff did kind of invent all American popular music. Like uh, black marching bands playing John Philip Sousa crap in New Orleans. That's mm-hmm. what evolved into jazz. Yeah, totally. Once they started riffing off that stuff, that's how that got in. But Sousa itself is too far removed from any semblance of popular culture. You know, it's like too, it's yeah, too it's like so proto pop culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's like not even uh, archaic in the way most classical music is. It's just like, I don't know. It feels like ringtones or something. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Dixieland jazz will make a big comeback. You know, it's that that to me is the other extremely uh, irritating genre of like, like that era of music. I guess Dixieland jazz is a little later, but yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think what else. Well, we just got to combine. Uh, those kind of old genres that are never coming back with a new genre that's never coming back. Like uh, sort of like marching band witch house or something, you know? Witchy land. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Witchy land jazz. And it's like uh, a bunch of people with witch hats on and it's like very disjointed cacophony. It's on a 78 record that shatters if you drop it. <laughs> and the song is 45 seconds long and it's, 50 guys with trumpets all going <laughs> Yeah, the 78 to it brings up a good point. Like now that uh, it's so hard for bands to press vinyl because like Amazon got into the vinyl game and they're, they're pressing a million things all the time and all this shit. Uh, indie bands need to move to Victrolas and 78s so that the pressing times are shorter. Wax cylinder, baby. Yeah, that's that's how it, it it needs to go to those uh, wax cylinder Edison spool like wire recorders. You can fit so much music on uh, just a tiny piece of wire. It's the future. It's the future. Seventy eights had such time limits that uh, if you wanted to listen to a symphony, you would have to flip over ten different records. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, how like, do they compare find... to a seven inch? Like they're even shorter than a seven inch, huh? I think so, yeah. I think it's like three minutes maximum. It's just Man. basically like watching like a British television series. Someone is ripped to YouTube and it's all com- compacted into like <laughs> 10 minute segments. Yeah. yeah and somehow the next one it's like, that's suggested is always like three ahead or two yes. behind. Yes. They're never in order. 
Fuck, I hate uh, I hate having my symphony uh, all in order, and then I and then I slip and fall, and all the discs get uh, discombobulated. <laughs> that must have been shatter. a common thing. If you drop one, it will shatter like a ceramic plate. Yeah, That's right. so you just don't get to hear that portion of, uh, like, Ina uh, Kleina Nocta music. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Like, or yeah, there's so many people alone. who are just missing three minutes in the middle of a 20 minute piece. Like, oh, all right. <laughs> well, I don't need that part. Well, then your imagination just fills it in. You know, it's where uh, great creativity is born. I guess theoretically, you could just play a shard of it if you keep picking up the needle. And pick it, pick it back up after it goes <laughs> it past goes it, and then put it back down. You have like a semicircle of a disc, and it just keeps playing one second, then it's like, then the next second, then. <laughs> oh, it makes me want to play around with the Victrola my parents have. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me of like when we were kids, we had the Pokemon soundtrack CD, uh, like songs from the TV show, and we scratched it up. It had like a natural scratch on it that we thought was funny because it skipped around. So we just scratched the shit out of it. And some of the songs actually scratched like we wanted to. And it was really funny because they were skipping constantly. But then we just destroyed it and made it unlistenable. <laughs> that rocks. Sk Rules. Song skipping can be really funny, though, if it's very like intermittent and strange. You could do it with music, but PlayStation, if you got one tiny little scratch on it, the disc would just stop working. Yeah. Because of the copyright stuff. They shouldn't have had that. You should have been able to fuck up a game by scratching it up. Yeah, you should have been able to do like Kid 606, Otecker style like glitches just by scratching your PlayStation CD. Maybe that's an uh, avenue for indie artists to explore. Releasing your album on PS1 disc. Yeah. There Only actually, playable on PS1 and 3. There was a, there was a thing for Nintendo called game, the Game Genie. That like oh you yeah yeah attached to the cartridge and you could you know basically deprogram you could, you could do cheats it was for doing cheats but you could also enter random code into it and it would just completely fuck the game up <laughs> which is kind of fun which is kind of cool what do you think about that Alex of only playing video games ten years after they come out I have kind of done that I guess I played Red Dead Redemption pretty late like pretty pretty shortly before the second one came out. And I guess that is also better in a way because you know it's not going to be uh, too system intensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. If it's from 10 years ago, you can put all the graphic settings to ultra. You don't have to worry about it. Or it just won't work at all. One or the, one or the other. Man, that's kind of what I've been doing this last, like during the pandemic. Like I, uh, I got... I got a gaming laptop and I got a uh, near automata. I don't know how yeah. to say that. Yeah. Which is like, it's been out for a while. And I got fallout new Vegas and uh Numenera tides of torment, which is super rad. But uh, yeah, those games have all been out for a while and it's nice. Cause uh, <laughs> there's no, there's like no hype around them or anything. They're just sort of, they're just sort of art objects now, you know? Yeah, you get to avoid uh, disasters like Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. Or No Man's Sky. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but they If you're one of the chumps who bought that on day one, like, you missed out. You thought you were going to get ahead of the curve? You should have waited. You blew it. Didn't they fix that, though? No Man's Sky is now, like, fixed? Yeah, I think it's okay now. They put a lot of work into it. 
That's like it's Final Fantasy fourteen. Also, like when it came out as a fucking disaster, and now it's one of the more popular MMOs because they put in the effort to fix it for like years. It's weird that people are playing that again, because I remember fifteen coming out, and that was years ago. Yeah, that was like yeah. four years ago now. No, yeah, they botched fourteen long ago, and then they just decided to actually put in the effort to fix it. You know, and Did good for them because most recent Final Fantasies have sucked. I remember 11 was a multiplayer one. Yeah, I played that a lot when it came out. That was when I was in like high school. I never played it. I played 10 and 12. 12 was pretty good. Yeah. I think maybe 13's the worst Final Fantasy period. It was basically just like a straight path for the entire game. <laughs> You're just like walking down a, a narrow line forever. I haven't gone past 8. That's oh, like. You got to play like 9. 10 and 12 are good, but 9's a classic. Is nine nine is kind of a return to like the fantasy world, right? Like it's yeah, not, yeah. it's not like post apocalyptic. It's yeah, it's very yeah. Their attempt to get back to like earlier Final Fantasies, both in like the the job system and the aesthetics of it and stuff. And also, I think it has the best soundtrack out of any of them. Even though like seven and eight and nine all have like fantastic soundtracks, but and six sold. Sold. That's my that's my that's my next big video game purchase. Yeah. Final Fantasy Nine. Yeah, dude. I bought like seven, eight, and nine on Switch on like those reissued versions. It's definitely worth it. I bought them on vinyl. I, I bet you anything they have released those soundtracks on vinyl. Yeah. They must have, right? I bought yeah, the, for like a hundred dollars. Yeah. I bought the Castlevania Two soundtrack on a uh, ten-inch vinyl. Well, I didn't buy it. I played at uh, Sonic Boom in Seattle, and they're like, "You get to take some records home." And I, I think they were kind of bummed out because I just grabbed video game soundtrack pieces. <laughs> I got uh, Castlevania and Metroid, and the Castlevania Castlevania Two Simon's Quest, I think it is, and it's got a really sweet cover by Becky Cloonan. It's amazing, but it sounds so good on vinyl. <laughs> Simon's yeah, Quest like, was kind of a good game. I love that game, man. It's like the the whole mechanics of like uh what a terrible night to have a curse that you know like the the nighttime daytime thing i think that was the first game the angry video game nerd got mad at right that was episode 1 so it's infamous now why was he mad at it i think cuz it keeps turning into night and it's very cryptic where you're supposed to go compared to the first one yeah yeah, it's like a, it's like a, it's definitely more like an RPG than like a platformer. We gotta fill out our pitchfork ballot. Yeah, let's do that. Oh yeah, let's figure let's this it. out. So we got this ballot pulled up. Pitchfork has something. I guess it's like a self-aggrandizing celebration of them existing for twenty-five years. So they're asking you to list twenty-five albums from the last twenty-five years that are your favorites. All right, here we go. We got to. Um, I mean, what kind of things? We what about that? Which Coltrane one was that uh, that they infamously reviewed? We got to put that up there. Oh yeah, that seems Life like at first the Village point. Vanguard. The what? Master takes. Yeah. Yes. Me and my four droogs sailing down the Nile. All right. So yeah, let me. I want to make sure I get the album title just right here. All right, John Coltrane. That'll be our number one. What else do we got to put on here? Hmm. Hmm. Lou Reed and. Metallica, Lulu. There you go. That's number two. Okay. Number three. Got to pitch him some low balls. Frank Ocean. Easy. 
No, see, that's what they want. Like, everyone's going to put that naturally since that was, like, in their own top 10 or whatever. It's like... Yeah, I was well, looking I think, at the one for the, the 2010s, and it's the lamest shit. It's like looking at Obama's favorite albums of the year. I was just scrolling through that. It's real bad. It's very, very bad. But the thing there is, like, like... three Beyonce albums in the top 10. Like, come it's on. Like, it's like uh, we've said before, and you were saying earlier, Dan, of, like, Pitchfork now is just like Rolling Stone in the mid-90s where... Those high picks aren't even that wrong. They're just very generic, right? Like, I agree with them on, like, Kendrick and Kanye and stuff, but it's because those are just the most popular albums that everyone already knows about, like... For sure, yeah. They're not, like, tastemakers. They're just regurgitating what everyone already knows. Well, you could just feel the sort of, um, they, you know, self-awareness emanating from that list. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, what do people want us to do? Yeah. What's the good thing to do? And there's kind of some, de- like, not unlike Rolling Stone in, like, 1994, 95, there's kind of like a, oh, my God, we don't really know what people want us to do, and we're kind of, st- we don't know what's happening, <laughs> we're yeah. sca- and we're scared. What else do we need to put up here? Well, I'm going to put all the Wolf Parade Wolf albums. Okay. Parade. I'm going to put them in um, Queen reverse, yeah, reverse chronological order, because they're going to want apologies to be the highest, so I'm going to put it the lowest. Okay, good That's idea. That's the only one that fills in automatically. It's... It's perfect. Oh, that's oh, hilarious. Oh, <laughs> really? What about the other ones? <laughs> yeah, They're guiding on. people. Yeah, look. Yeah, you're right. It is the only one that fills in automatically. They're, oh, they're trying to this... guide people toward certain things here. Waited. Wait, where is the... Can you guys drop me the link for this so I can... Uh... Yeah, here. I You can like pop it out to an external link. So here's the one I'm using. Ooh, on yeah. surveygizmo.com. Surveygizmo.com. The Sweet. Survey Freaks number one survey site. I'm a... I'm a I'm a survey freak. I love it. Please list 10 albums if you cannot think of 25 albums. All right. Um, I don't think I've heard 25 albums. That's a lot. Number one, Salem. (laughs) Gotta have some Salem on there. What else do we want? Yeah, gotta have Witch House. I don't... I'm writing Salem down. I'm getting Waxahachie. I mean, come on. Yeah, it seems like there's a very narrow list of things that auto-populate. It's weird. I guess... You're allowed to put in stuff that doesn't auto-populate, but yeah, it's a pretty narrow slice of stuff. Yeah, it all seems like uh, Pitchfork Best New Music, too. Oh, I'm scrolling through it. I can. Some of these are all right. Richard D. James album, sure. Why not? Why not? That's fine. Um, I'm gonna put Brock Winthrop on here, Alex. Thank you, John Acapinti. Wolf Mother doesn't fill in. Kind of uh, leaving them out. Five Wolf Eyes albums auto-populate, but only one Wolf Parade album. Hilarious. E1. And only two Chelsea Wolf. Ooh, E1, yeah, I'm going to put that on there too. Yeah. They have Bob the Dylan album, albums but... on here. Do they have Bob Dylan albums on there? Bob. Yeah. This is supposed to be from the it's... last 25 years, right? Yeah, it's like his recent releases. Awesome. He's just that good. Yeah. Oh, uh, Eric Clapton. Ooh, there you go. I hope old sock is on there. Eric. Yeah, all three of us need to submit our own list so we can really juice the charts here. Yeah, Clapton, old sock. There we go. Nice. Feeling good. All right, uh, the new Van Morrison album, obviously. Easy. Too bad John Acapinti only ever put out an album of his Christian songs. I wish he put out a political album. I'd vote for that. Oh, here's one I'm going to add that they recently reviewed. Peppa Pig, Dan's label mate, Peppa Pig. 
Yeah. They gave it a 6.5. And what makes me so mad is it's so tongue in cheek. They're basically trying to just do like what we did on E1 in the very early episodes where we did like the fake pitchfork review. They're doing that to themselves to like show that they have a sense of humor, it looks like. And it's <laughs> just like, why don't they just the, let me do this shit? Late to the game. Yeah, exactly. We were doing that in like 2017 or 18 or whatever. Yep. Let's see. Pathless Adventures, a- the album. Got to put that in. The four-year-old pop phenom and famous pig's second album is a charming and self-assured celebration of family, friendship, and muddy puddles. You see, the whole thing is so tongue-in-cheek. It's yeah, tongue- they're like they're. It's tongue-in-cheek. They're trying to be funny. It's tongue-in-cheek, like it. but they give it a six point five. Like. Yeah, give it a ten. Give if it you're a, gonna be funny. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, or give it a phone in the score or, if you're gonna commit to this. I hate this swine. It's yeah. horrible. Or at yeah. least give it a 7.6, right? Yeah, this is music for babies, no stars. But yeah, here's here's some more of the writing. On my first album, Peppa made a careful study of Brian Wilson's sunny melodies and progressive pop structure. She hews closely to this formula throughout Peppa's adventures, particularly on The Wistful Perfect Day and on Recycling, which evokes Fiona Apple in its percussive use of glass bottles and tin cans. See, like, they're they're cracking themselves up here. It's like... It's like a fake post someone on Twitter would make. Someone mm-hmm. who's behind the ball. Yeah. Like someone who's three years behind and they put a lot of effort into a post that's meant to go viral and it gets 50 retweets. Yeah. It's like yeah. that kind of writing. Like they're they're pandering, but it's also not that successful. No. It's just kind of obvious and dated. Yeah. It's like we already stopped doing these for E1 like three years ago, but now we could definitely never do them again, even if we wanted to, because of stuff like this pitchfork review, you know? Yeah, it's like it's been ship hacked for a long time. Yep. Uh, th- it's yeah. hard to get the thing to auto populate. It really is. The 6.5 really gives the game away, though, you know? Because again, they are concerned what people think about this satirical Peppa Pig review that they posted. Yeah. I give this review a zero. I give this review a zero as well. Boo I can see it smirking at me, and I don't like it. Like, oh, Cameron Purple Haze is one of the ones that auto populates. I'll put that oh, on. Nice. All right. Um, let's see. What else? What else? Rob Zombie. Oh yeah, things that they hate, like the Mars Volta. Yeah, Rob Zombie. That I would genuinely put up there, you know. Yeah, they could probably get one on there. Why does the the Mars Volta doesn't auto populate? Only the Marshall know, Mathers LP. Yeah. Why is that the only thing that comes up? I guess I'll put that on if that's what they want. I'll put the Marshall Mathers LP. Now you're giving them what they want. Don't give them what they want. Oh, fuck Eminem. Oh, wait. What was the most recent um, Puddle of Mud album? Hmm. The goofy fantasy sounding title. Oh, here we go. Welcome to Galvania. I'm going to put that on there. What was the Jet album that they gave a really bad review to? Oh, yeah, put that one on there. It was the second one. I remember the first one's called Get Born. I'll yeah. put that one in just to spite them. Yeah, there we go. Um, second, clap your hands and say, yeah, record, absolutely. Um, let's see, AIDS Wolf, there we go. I'm going to put Jay-Z's greatest hits, the Hits Collection Volume 1 by Jay-Z. You know, it says, please list 10 albums if you can't think of 25. And I was like, I'm going to get to 25. But now I'm like, you know what? I hit about 13. I'm going like, to call it right here. Yeah. That's enough for one day. <laughs> That's enough. I've just been looking at the uh, the auto populator. 
It's weird the things they give you. Yeah, they're really trying to get you to write specific things, or they think you're going to write specific things. You know what I just realized? It's really good that Pitchfork loves Fiona Apple so much, because otherwise she wouldn't be in the auto-populate thing, and no one would ever be able to type her entire album names. Yeah, that's a good point. This is true. This is true. She would never show up in these. Big star? Really? What's the point of even putting that in there? How do you not have Wolf Mother, but you have Big Star re-releases? Yeah, I'm curious what the criteria are for auto-populating. Maybe they're just uh, trolling for data here. They're, they're like, we don't know what to give the people. We tried to give them a satirical Peppa Pig review, and we don't know whether they like that or not. We don't. We hate it. Yeah, we hate it. You fucked up, Pitchfork. They should at least, if they really wanted to commit to that bit, they should also do a satirical Fiona Apple review where they say that Fiona Apple's uh, percussion is obviously a reference to Peppa Pig. Yes. Oh, Aerosmith honking on Bobo. You got to have that. (laughs) Definitely put that (laughs) in Honking on Bobo. Nice. (laughs) Man, Uh, that's a good album title. What was the last Motley Crue record? Yeah, when did they make... One last. I think uh, like 2010. I just saw a story about how uh, Nikki Six unfollowed Tommy Lee on Twitter on the last day of their tour. <laughs> oh, here we go. It was Saints of Los Angeles in 2008. Get that there you go. There. That's going on the list. Wait a minute. They're not Saints. Are they trying to be funny? I don't think that any of them are in communion with the church. That'd be a good pivot for them, though, toward a Christian album when they're all like 60. I would love that. That would be amazing. Did like an insane clown posse type thing. But did did ICP walk away from that Christian pivot or did they go forward with it? I don't know, honestly. Um, I have no idea. I don't think they've talked about it too much. Like maybe they just downplayed it, basically. I think they know what their fans want. They want to hear about Fago and partying. Yes. Actually, having a good time. Fuck it. There needs to be some ICP representation on this pitchfork list. That doesn't auto populate. Now I have to find out what their albums are called. I don't see broken social scene fans uh, massing on the nation's capital here in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> we should have uh, jumped on this sooner so we could have mounted a big campaign to get everyone to uh, vote for Coltrane, Wolf Parade, Peppa yeah. Pig. E1. Motley Crew. E1. Oh, we still could. Yeah. It ends on the 20th. And anyone listening to this, please fill out the Pitchfork 25th anniversary uh, quote-unquote people's list. Um, please do it, and we'll give you some suggestions. We'll tell, we'll tell you what to vote for. Yeah, stuff the ballot box. Yeah, let's go. Let's, let's get Pitchfork let's get them starting to write about the things that we care about, you know, um, John Acapinti, uh, Barney reissues. They'll probably only, uh, discover them when they're dead. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> true. Oh man. I just had a cursed vision of a, like a 60 LP, like black vinyl Barney set with just, uh, yeah. No, it has to be purple. Oh, it does have to be purple. Yeah, like it's the per- VHS tapes. It's purple on purple. 
And kind of like the Raymond Scott collection that uh, we discovered, there needs to be an Acapinti collection that's just curated like the 25 best or something, you know? Yeah, absolutely. One of the suggestions is Macintosh Plus Floral Shop. That's not even a real album. It's just <laughs> 80s soul songs pitched down. One yeah. semitone. Let's see. Boss Tweed. I'm voting for Boss Tweed. Yeah. Doing voter fraud. Yeah. I have no respect for democracy. We need some uh, nerdcore representation on there, too. MC Router. No results. Ooh. <laughs> How are you not going to auto-populate that? Yeah, so anyone listening, don't don't let Pitchfork tell you what to do. When you're when when you're excitedly filling out this 25th anniversary people's list, like like we all know that you've been waiting, just waiting to fill this out. When you're doing it, um, don't go, don't take the easy route. Don't don't follow the auto population. Just follow your heart. Or actually, no, do what we say. Um, E1, all the Wolf Parade records, every single one of them. In Peppa River, Pig. Peppa Pig. They reviewed it. Let's make them pay. Yeah. yeah they thought yeah. they were being funny by giving it a score. If, yeah. it, if it gets the most votes, they have to put it in. Yes, that's right. No, this is it. The Peppa Pig. They have no excuse. There. Not like <laughs> when the people voted for Justin Bieber to go to North Korea and then he chickened out. Yeah. The, fun, the funniest outcome would be Ballots get stuffed for Peppa Pig. Um, Peppa Pig one wins the number one slot, and they do the quickest like um, album reassessment where they re-review it at ten point Yeah. Well, here's the thing though: is that there's no outside inspector for these ballots, so I don't trust Pitchfork to actually. Uh, if if Peppa Pig pulls out the number one, I don't expect them to even be honest about it. Where we need to get like UN inspectors in here to monitor the vote. I think. Yeah, we need the OSC quickly. I think we need to storm the pitchfork offices. That's right. <laughs> yeah, let's we'll get the juggalos and we'll get the broken social scene fans together. We'll get everybody. We'll storm the pitchfork offices. Get the UN inspectors. We're going to take Peppa Pig to number one. Yeah, I think it's in the World Trade Center. <laughs> I think it legitimately is. Oh, really? Someone got in trouble a few years ago. Maybe it was Halsey. Someone made a joke like uh, someone should bomb the pitchfork offices. Because they got a bad score, and then uh, then they found out that it's in the One World Trade Center. Look, Or, or they said someone should fly a, a plane into it. We're going to be delivering, uh, delivering the ballot. We're going to be collecting everyone's ballots, and we're going to be delivering them by hand, by airplane, to the pitchfork offices in New York. Yeah. Airmail. <laughs> like Air kids mail. letters to Santa, just marching them in. Which age group are you in? 65 plus. Yeah. Gender non-binary. Let's just get that in the statistics. There's a, a <laughs> non-binary senior citizen who loves Peppa Pig That's and right. Wolf Parade. That's right. Sell my data now. Let's let's get this going. Let's have the next when shows come back. Let's have the next big Pitchfork Festival in Paris be <laughs> E1 Peppa Pig and and three Wolf Parade sets because hey, that sounds good to me. That's what the people want. We'll see you there.